Excel Pro. Artificial intelligence is a big deal in my world these days. Now, the AI companies argue that the ingested data doesn't leave the tool and that the tool is not even really using works in meaningful ways. But artists contend that those assertions are false. Welcome to Excel Pro IP Law, where we provide interviews and products to accelerate your professional development. I'm Neil Ungerleiter. Today, we're going to talk about copyright, AI, and the law with Sandra Stars. She's a senior fellow for copyright research and policy and a senior scholar at the Center for Intellectual Property and Innovation Policy at George Mason University. We talk about copyright, artificial intelligence, the nature of creation, and more. Excel Pro's interviews and products help to improve your day-to-day job performance and accelerate professional development. For a transcript of this episode and to learn more about the Excel Pro IP Law community, visit joinaccelpro.com. That's J-O-I-N-A-C-C-E-L-P-R-O.com. And now, Sandra Stars. Sandra, good to have you here. Thanks for inviting me. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about you and your background? Absolutely. I am a clinical professor at George Mason, as you mentioned, and I run an arts and entertainment clinic there. So I work with students representing artists and small businesses in the arts on a daily basis, working with them on copyright issues that come up in their day-to-day practice. I also teach classes in professional responsibility and in entertainment law. So as you might imagine, artificial intelligence is a big deal in my world these days. I know you've been doing a lot of research on the topic of AI and copyright, and I think a good starting point would be from your perspective, what exactly is generative artificial intelligence? That is a good place to start. One thing that I'm doing in a paper that I'm presenting is I actually asked a generative AI to define generative AI for me. And it told me that generative AI is a system for generating new data that is similar to existing data that it was trained on. And so the way that works is that neural networks analyze patterns and relationships in the data that the AI has been trained on and then generate new data based on those patterns. And so generative AI can be used to do a variety of different things. You can use it to generate images, to generate texts, to compose music, and even to do things like create video games. So this is the definition that ChatGPT gave me. I might pick a couple of different words. I might not use data in some of these definitions, because this data is not something that's protectable by copyright law, only the creative selection and arrangement and compilation of the data is protectable. But I'm not going to quibble here with the definition so much. One other thing that's worth mentioning is that one of the most popular ways that generative AIs work is by involving two different neural networks working together. And this is referred to as generative adversarial networks. And so what happens there is that the first network is the generator 
And it creates the images, the text, or the music, whatever the task the AI has been asked to do. And then the second neural network is the discriminator neural network. And the second one evaluates and gives feedback to the first in order to improve its output. And the point, according at least to ChatGPT, is for the generator to learn to create new data that is increasingly similar to the original data. So we can come back to what that means for concepts like originality under copyright law as we go on in our conversation, but, but that's how it works. And from a copyright perspective, are there differences in works that are created with the assistance of generative AI or works that are created entirely by generative AI with no human providing inputs? Yes, for sure. So probably the place to start is with the requirements for originality under copyright law. And I'm going to back up even a little bit further and talk about how one goes about registering a work. The U.S. doesn't require formal registration of works, but a gating question for most of us when we're talking about AI and authorship or AI and infringement is going to be whether one can register a work, and if so, who can do that? And that's because the status of works created by AIs is in question, and it's likely to be in question for quite some time. And the reason you would want to register a work is because you need a registration certificate in order to enforce your rights in federal court. And even if you're not going to enforce your rights in federal court, maybe you want to take advantage of this new system before the Copyright Office to enforce your rights, this new small claims process, there you at least have to have filed an application to register a work. So in the U.S., the Copyright Office is the responsible entity for registering works, and it doesn't have a very extensive process of examining works, not like you would if you were perhaps registering a trademark or a patent with the USPTO. But it does have a registration process, and what it consists of is a review by the copyright registration specialists to determine compliance with its requirements, and then they issue a registration certificate if you've met all the requirements. And if they deny you a registration, you've got the opportunity to appeal, and if you're still denied the registration certificate, you have a further opportunity to appeal to a three-person internal review board within the Copyright Office. And the Copyright Office can also cancel a registration if they find that there's been fraud on the office or if they believe that they need further information to evaluate an application, they can go out and do a little bit of their own research to, to evaluate what's going on and take note of that for their review process. Now, I'm mentioning all of this. It's a very long-winded way to go about answering the question that you asked me, but I'm mentioning all of this because all of these issues have recently come into play in reviews of registration applications concerning works involving AIs. One, which was dealing with a work that was wholly created by an AI, and one work that was created by a human artist using an AI as a tool. And those two were dealt with quite differently by the Copyright Office. So the first thing that's important to know is that 
the Copyright Office's role is to apply the law as it exists, not to expand it. And that said, copyright law is supposed to be technologically neutral, right? So if the law can be applied to new technology, they should apply it. But under the 76 Act, which is our current Copyright Act, the Copyright Office takes the position that you require human authorship in order to register a work. And so the fully AI-created work is not registrable at all. The one that is partially created by a human, partially created by an AI, is registrable. But you need to examine the degree to which the human controls the process in order to determine that it is indeed copyrightable by the human. And I can go into kind of the case law and so forth if you're interested in more background on all of that, because the Copyright Office just came out with guidance for people on what they look at based on these two registration procedures they just went through. So I have a question about training data, which you mentioned earlier. Why are some of the big copyright issues around all the training data that's used for these AI tools? So training data has been incredibly controversial, partially because the data itself that most of these AI tools are trained on is copyrightable data. So they're copyrighted works created by artists. And it's not clear that the companies using these works to train these systems have permission of the artists to use them. In fact, there are numerous lawsuits asserting that artists have not given permission and that the services have scraped internet websites or otherwise obtained access to their works to train AI tools without compensation and without permission. And so this scraping process or this obtaining of these databases of artworks or literary works or musical works requires the making of at least one and probably more infringing copies of works to compile and facilitate the ingestion of data into the AI tool. And then the tool uses that data as a means of training itself to do the various tasks that it's then asked to do. Now, the AI companies argue that the ingested data doesn't leave the tool and that the tool is not even really using works in meaningful ways that, if anything, the tools are using the works to make various assessments about the works or measurements or calculations about the works and that they're only using data about the works and not the works themselves to create those outputs and that they could just as well throw away all those data sets. But artists contend that those assertions are false. First of all, they point to the to evidence that the appearance of substantial portions of their works or even their actual signatures or watermarks that have been on their works is being output by the tools. And they claim that at minimum, this suggests that the tools have access to their works and are copying or emulating what the AI perceives to be meaningful portions of their works. And they assert that they're losing commissions to AIs that are trained to compete with them and to generate works that look like theirs and not just to create other original creative works that are created to be original works of authorship like an artist in competition with them out in the normal artistic marketplace might create. 
And so I was participating in some listening sessions at the copyright office about some of these issues. And people were raising a variety of concerns, including really the need to understand this full life cycle of the materials that are being used and the source of the materials and whether they're being sourced with the consent and the understanding of the artists as to how they would be used. And artists were noting that you really can't equate the way that these AI tools use works with human learning, that artists don't look at a volume of images like AI tools can look at a volume of images and then generate output images the way that AI tools do. They artists create by taking in other things in life, other experiences and employing their own technical artistry and, and that it's really difficult and not part of artistic practice to try and actually mimic another artist's style or approach. And that if you do it, it's actually considered forgery, right? And you get in trouble for that as an artist. So you don't go and sell those services in the marketplace to other people. So analogizing to how humans create in this space is really a bad idea. I want to shift gears and ask you a little bit about your career. I'm curious, what first attracted you to copyright law? I fell into practicing copyright law. I was working at a large law firm, Wild Gotchel and Manchies, when I started out my career and sort of naturally fell into it as a practice area I did a bunch of projects in with a partner I really enjoyed working with. And this was at the time that the Digital Millennium Copyright Act was being passed. And I had the opportunity to work on aspects of that legislation and then also on some licensing work that dealt with standards being set for the development of, at that time, DVD technology and DVD audio technology and various content protection and digital rights management technologies relating to that area. And so it went on from there. And what were the most unexpected things on your journey? Uh, gee, not starting it to begin with, I suppose. But, you know, I've had all sorts of interesting experiences and opportunities, even to say coming to academia, I would never have expected to take a turn to work in academia at this stage in my career. And I made the switch to academia because I really loved the pro bono work that I was doing. And I enjoyed working with individuals and small businesses so much and saw the opportunity to combine that with working with students and helping them launch their careers. And it just seemed like the perfect fit and a way to bring everything that I'd done full circle. So I guess that might be a very unexpected turn as well to go from, on the one hand, starting my career working on high-tech issues and representing big companies to working on high-tech issues at this stage of my career and working with individuals and small businesses. And what advice do you have for others who are making the transition to academia? Well, it depends on what point in their career they're doing it. I think typically people enter academia with a very defined path and fairly early on in their practice careers. If they practice law at all, they do so for a couple of years. Find a great mentor within academia to help guide your path. Write a few strong articles before you make the transition. And have a passion for learning and teaching and you'll do great, I'm sure. 
That was Sandra A-Stars. Sandra, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Neil. For a transcript of this conversation and to learn more about the Excel Pro IP law community, visit joinexcelpro.com. That's J O I N A C C E L P R O.com. Excel Pro's interviews and products accelerate your professional development. Our mission is to improve our members' day to day job performance and make career goals achievable. Thanks again to today's guest. If your colleagues in any sector of the IP law field might be interested, please let them know about Excel Pro. As our community grows, it grows more useful for its members. Remember to send your comments and career questions to questions at joinexcelpro.com. You can also call us at 614-642-2235. That's 614-64-A-C-C-E-L. Excel Pro IP Law is powered by Kaplan. The producers are J. Ray Sparks and Jeff Eisenman. The team is Shweta Kolkarni, Caitlin Cole, Jared Goff, Harrison Shapiro, Inesh Bose, Arnesh Bose, Teza Zoleta, Aliza Solario, Jessica Stillman, Matt Crossman, and me, Neil Ungleither. Remember, we excel together. See you next time.